Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Happy birthday, Alan. Oh, I thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Listeners, today is Alan's actual birthday. Uh, yeah, okay, not really. Uh, it's about a month after my actual birthday. We just have the schedule kind of laid out. Usually we don't record uh, when my birthday rolls around. It's usually like the week or two afterwards. And last week was, uh, let's see, what movie was it last week? Oh yeah, Jacob's Ladder for the Jacob's Ladder uh, supposedly theatrical release that never came out. <laughs> was that supposed to come out by now? Yeah, it was supposed to come out like, I think this, actually a day, two days before this recording. So it was on... Mm. I think Thursday night, Friday. Oh, wow. Uh, actually, Friday. It was Friday. So the day before this recording is when it's supposed to come out. But I looked at IMDb and it said it was completed, not not yet screened. Hmm. So it hasn't been released yet as far as we are, as far as IMDb is aware of. Yeah. My guess is that's going to either be direct to video or digital, whatever they do now. Or right. we'll get probably a small release in the summer, maybe? It's very possible. Uh, I'm gonna. My bets are gonna be more towards uh, straight to digital. Hmm. Uh, maybe like a straight to Netflix release or something along those lines. That's because it is by the director who did Midnight Meat Train. We kind of mentioned that in the other podcast, but uh, from what I've seen, it's not great. Uh, not a not as uh, the same vision, I guess I could say, as the original Jacob's Ladder. Well, today we are discussing one of Alan's favorite movies, and yeah. this is his birthday. He gets to pick what movie he wants to review. My birthday is coming up, so in two weeks, you will get to hear my birthday pick. And for those of you who are new joining us, this is your co-host, Corbin. I'm Alan, obviously. So, Alan, we started the birthday pick last year. So we this right. is the second time we're doing it. So last year, you can go and listen to Alan's birthday pick, which just so happens to be one of his favorite movies, but for very different reasons. Yes, that one was uh, a little movie called Birdemic, <laughs> which I know if you are versed in just so bad that they're good movies, this probably should come as uh, a movie that's rather popular. It's... It was the movie that got me into bad movies, and that one, that was actually, you can come back and listen to the podcast, but uh, that was my very first Blu-ray release when I finally bought a Blu-ray drive or player. Oh, wow. Uh, I finally was able to start buying Blu-rays at that point, which that was the first one that I got. Uh, and so that one, it's just kind of been near and dear to me. This one as well, but like Corbin said, for very different reasons. I don't I don't like it ironically like I do with Birdemic. I actually really do enjoy this movie. And I have a bit of an interesting story. It's very rather short. But I remember when I'd heard about this, I think Chris Stuckman had mentioned it. He did a review on it. And that's what piqued my interest originally. And then I downloaded it because it went on Amazon Prime. And so I downloaded it on my iPad. And we, my mom or my parents and I were driving somewhere. I mean, we were going on a trip. It's possible that we were coming back from college. I can't remember where. But I decided to watch it. And for some reason, there is something about that movie that just grabbed me. And I, we usually, so we stopped for gas at one point and I was like right in the middle of it. And I refused to get out of the car because I was just so engulfed in this movie at that moment that I just didn't even feel that I had to go to the bathroom at all. 
and relieve myself, which I really didn't we didn't need to, but it was a very strange experience because that typically doesn't happen where I'm just so engulfed with a movie that I just don't really want to leave and do something else in that moment, albeit somewhat kind of important uh, at the time. For me, I also saw Chris Stockman's review, but I didn't think a whole lot about it afterwards. I thought, oh, I'll get to that eventually. But it is interesting because when the end of the year rolled around, which I believe this movie came out 2016. Yes, that's correct. So when the year, when the end of the year rolled around, uh, this movie was on a number of people's best picture of the year lists. Well, like their own personal lists. And I'm thinking, right. well, wait a minute. I haven't seen this movie. I don't think I saw one trailer for it. Yeah, I don't think I did either. I think I may have seen it floating around IMDb once or twice before I heard about it with Chris Tuckman's review, but that was really about it. So I hadn't heard of this movie at all, but I had heard Chris Stuckman loved it. Alan was really interested in it. I don't know. I don't know how. Did you see this in 2016 or did you see it 2017? Do you remember? I am not entirely sure. I think I saw it at, at in 2017. Okay. I want to. I want to say that was when it was because I know when I bought the Blu-ray, I brought it over to your house and we watched it at your house. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like that would have been in 2017 when I got that. So that was the first time I did see it when Alan said, "I've got this Blu-ray. I really like it. Um, I'm going to bring it over." And this was kind of when you were in your contemplative indie phase, we might call it, because the previous yes. movie you had brought over was A Ghost Story. <laughs> That's right, yes. And I kind of remember you saying they're like a tiny bit similar in certain ways. And I'm like, okay, I'm I'm interested. Let's let's hear it. Let's see it. So that was the first time I saw it, which was quite a while ago now, and I hadn't seen it since. Right. So I, I'm. I think I have an idea. But what was your like initial reaction to this movie when I first showed it to you? My initial reaction was I thought it was fine. I think I liked the simplicity of it, the the beauty of their relationship and home life. But I know you loved it a lot more than I did. Yes, I kind of got that vibe <laughs> when we were talking about it. <laughs> How many times have you seen this movie? It's not double digits. Um, I want to say probably six or seven times. Okay. Because I, I know I watched it once when I was in the car, once with you. I showed my roommate and I showed my brother. And I know I watched it one, more, one other time between then. So, yeah, about about six times, six or seven times, I would say, mm -hmm. that I've seen this movie. Gotcha. Okay. I yeah. looked it up and we you brought it over May in May 2018 which makes sense okay. since you would be home for the summer. So that's the last time we saw it, May 2018. Really? Not quite a year it's been. I thought it was much longer than that. Okay, interesting. Mm -hmm. So I have a little thing to say. I don't want to toot my own horn, listeners, but this movie is uh, features a lot of poetry, and I did win a poetry prize, so I might know a thing or two about the poetry. Yeah, that's that was my initial... Uh, feelings when I first watched it and I wanted to show it to you because I figured you would at least latch on to that, that aspect of the movie. Oh, that's uh, right. I remember that. Yeah. 
So we'll see if your opinions have changed going into it now, almost getting close to a year later. Um, yes. Since your initial watching. We shall see. But first, before we get too far into uh, the podcast, I guess we should give a little bit of background info. There yeah. isn't much. I, I looked it up on Wikipedia and other articles, and there really isn't much there. Uh, yeah. Aside from the fact that the production began in 2014, which two years after re- uh, before release, it was shot in 30 days. Uh, in about 2016, early 2016, it was revealed that Adam Driver and, oh dear, so you can even say this, uh, Gol Shafeth, uh, Farah- Farahani, she's been in like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Mentano Tales, and Exodus Gods and Kings recently. So she's not like an unpopular name. She's been in other movies. Okay. But uh, yeah, she they, those two were revealed to be the main leads in this movie. Uh, it was shot mostly on location in Patterson, New Jersey, which is an actual place, uh, and other places in New York. Uh, Rod Paget or Paget, I guess uh, he did provide three poem, three po- he provided a number of poems for Patterson, and three of them were used. And the only one that was written by the director was "Waterfalls," the "Waterfalls" poem. Uh, Jim Jarmusch wrote that himself, mm-hmm. and Jim Jarmusch he's done a number. He's done. He's not. Uh, I guess a very well-known director. He's done a lot, he's done a lot of movies, but none of which that I've really heard of or seen. Um, so that's not to say he's not a good filmmaker. I just haven't really heard of anything that he's worked with. Uh, but anyways, the budget was five million dollars. Oh yeah, this is an Amazon Studios movie. Budget was five million dollars. It made ten point eight million in the box office, which is still pretty. This is good for uh, its budget. IMDb score of 7.4, no cinema score, which I didn't really expect to have one anyways, and a 96% of Rotten Tomatoes, just to compensate for the cinema score. And I know that it run quite universal acclaim when it was released mm. from a lot of critics, but yeah, never went on to win any Oscars. It won a number of it won a, a bunch of awards from different uh, film festivals, but never really went, never got into the Oscars of, uh, I guess, 20, I guess it would be the 2017 Oscars. It didn't get anything from that. But aside from that, that's really the only background info that I could find with this movie. It's, uh, it's, which I also kind of expected there not to be too much of. I have never heard of Jim Jarmusch. I've never seen one of his movies until Patterson. Looking at his oeuvre of work, the only other movie that like rang a bell to me was I've seen the poster before for the film Dead Man starring Johnny Depp, which came out in 1995, the year I was born. Haven't seen it, but he's worked with some pretty big name actors, but they're all very indie films. He worked with Bill Murray, Winona Ryder, Tilda Swinton, John Hurt. So I've never seen any of these movies. I would be intrigued to see some of them. Uh, it appears he was an actor in Sling Blade, which was a pretty big movie at the time and is still remembered by some people as pretty good. So I I don't know this guy from Adam and uh, everything he's done has high ratings from what I've seen. It's kind of highly regarded, but it's all uh, indie right. and I doubt he will ever go mainstream. Right. And I, I know I've heard the name Jim Jarmusch before, but like I said, I had not seen any of his works up until Patterson. Uh, that might partly be because they're rather hard to find. They're not, not, they're not really on Amazon Prime. 
or especially not Netflix. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the reason, but the other part of the reason is I just haven't really heard. I haven't really seen anything else from him that uh, that I guess intrigued me that I've looked at too. I looked too hard into. I suppose I could say. So Jim Jarmusch, once again, he's not like a he's not an absent name. I I know of him, but I, aside from Patterson, I'm not very versed in his filmography. What I find interesting is Adam Driver is in this movie, and honestly, Adam Driver is kind of the ultimate mainstream indie actor now, where he is Kylo Ren, arguably the biggest series of all time, but he's also in a number of indie projects such as this one as well, so he kind of goes back and forth between that, and this year he is up for the Oscar for his role in... Black Klansman. So it's interesting how right. popular he's become because he was a Marine and you do see the p- character Patterson was a Marine as well. And after being a Marine, he's like, hey, I want to be an actor. Kind of like um, Steve Buscemi was a firefighter. Right. And then he's like, you know what? Right. I want to be an actor. And then he's like one of the, he's like a super well-known actor. Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting because it was essentially Star Wars that really got gamed him a lot of popularity which mm-hmm. Star Wars is known for ha- for getting smaller actors and uh that in a being pretty big names like I guess not necessarily Harrison Ford but uh Carrie Fisher and uh Luke Skywalker his name is escaping Mark me. Hamill yeah so L- Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill have become pretty big names uh, since the release of the original Star Wars. And so that's kind of the same thing that's happening once again here, uh, uh, this new generation, I guess, of Star Wars, where they're just taking in not so well-known names like Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver. Now they're becoming pretty, pretty yeah. big names. Whether or not that gained him the role of Patterson is kind of hard to say, but uh, it's not, he's not a absent name. He's not somebody who's uh, a not a very well-known actor anymore. He's been in a number of things, especially Star Wars, especially now, and he's got an Oscar. So he's gaining, he's getting a lot of popularity now, uh, which is pretty good. He's a, he's a very, in my own opinion, I think he's a very, very good actor, and I'm excited to see what else he can do. Well, Alan, do you want to give the listeners the plot? Yes, let's do that. Um, spoiler warning, by the way. Yep, spoiler warning. If you haven't seen Patterson, please click pause right now. Go ahead and watch it on Prime or whatever else you want to watch it on. Come back and click play and we'll be ready to talk about it. Yep. Okay, uh, the movie Patterson follows a week in the life of a man named Patterson who's a bus driver living in the town of Patterson, New Jersey. Every morning he wakes up around 6.15, kisses his girlfriend, wife or girlfriend, Laura, the movie doesn't exactly say what. what relationship they are, uh, listens to a dream that she may have had that night, and then heads to work. After work, he comes home, eats dinner, and once the sun goes down, walks he walks their dog, Marvin, to the bar where he often talks to Doc, Marie, and occasionally Everett. In many ways, Patterson lives a very normal, boring life. He doesn't own a phone or any kind of technology, claiming that the world will operate fine without them. Instead, he is a poet. He often takes inspiration from daily activities to construct a poem. Throughout the week, we observe Patterson's life and meet a wide variety of characters. Doc, who owns the bar in Patterson, he visits every night. Marie is constantly running away from her past lover, Everett, who is a, who Everett is a head over here is for her and is an actor. 
Laura is very eccentric, constantly trying new things and baking cupcakes, like baking cupcakes for the farmer's market, painting shower curtains with her signature black and white circles or lines, and even ordering a guitar because she just has a dream of becoming a country singer. But Patterson often comes across other poets, an aspiring rapper crafting a song Paul Lawrence Dunbar while while waiting for his clothes to finish washing by the nearby laundromat, a 10-year-old girl waiting for her mother and twin sister in the back alleyways of the bus station, and most importantly, a Japanese man hailing from Osaka, Osaka, Japan, who came to see the city that William Carlos Williams was from, which is Patterson. Also is uh, Patterson, the character, is his main inspiration, one of his favorite poets of all time. In this final con- conversation with the man from Osaka, where Patterson is, where, is when Patterson learns that life is a poem in and of itself, and even the most ordinary lives uh, have a, have great poetic value to it. The Japanese poet hands Patterson a blank notebook and says, "Sometimes a blank page holds the most possibilities." Before walking away, this pulls Patterson out of his depression that he was previously in after Marvin whipped up his secret notebook that held all of his poems. With the inspiration of the Japanese poet, Patterson begins constructing a new poem leading into the beginning of the next week as he gets up to begin his new routine with a new notebook as credits roll. Patterson is a day in the life of this man, which is kind of unique that this movie does take you through the individual days and does its best to give you the entirety of the day in kind of a truncated version but we get everything that he goes through right it's it's very it's in a lot of ways patterson is kind of an anti movie because the to somebody who is i guess you could say more versed in i guess more american cinema uh they would probably come out of this movie saying well nothing happened which is kind of the point uh nothing really exciting ever really happens in this movie but once again there's a reason for that to be that way it's it's more of it's showing more that the most ordinary lives hold great poetic value they're even the most ordinary lives which is which at the very end of the at the very end of the movie when he's having the conversation with the japanese poet uh he the guy kind of explains that there were even poets that had very ordinary lives but they went on to become very good poets very popular poets um it's a very interesting message to send, and even from a filmmaking standpoint, it's very interesting to see a movie that takes its time uh, to to not show things that you would tip, things that you would assume would happen. Uh, like, for instance, the dog. Hell, at one point, a, a car drives up, and a guy says, "You know, you better be careful. That dog is worth a lot of cash. A lot of money. Someone might steal it from you." And then that never comes about. Uh, small things like that. And I'll mention a few more a bit later, but. It's small things like that where it, this movie, once again, feels kind of like an anti-movie because things will be set up and then they never, they, they seem as if they're going to pay off, but then they don't. Or you're just following this guy's daily routine over and over and over again every single day and nothing really seems to come of it aside from uh, the poems that he writes out that he takes inspiration from, from those daily activities. Yeah, it's kind of... Uh... It's a breath of fresh air that this movie isn't because I was reading one person's review and they were saying, you know, in a world where every movie, something crazy has to happen or go wrong. They are, they were saying I was expecting Patterson halfway through to snap, um, kind of like First Reformed, where right. halfway through it takes this dark twist. So I'm like, 
I hadn't seen First Reformed yet because it wasn't out, but you get what I'm saying by comparing the two where you're thinking, oh, it's so nice, but then halfway through, there's going to be this dark twist, kind of like in the movie The Gift, and he's going to become the bad guy, and he's going to start driving his bus into people or something. <laughs> right, right. And that never happens, so I'm, I was glad. I was like, oh, so the world isn't isn't full of darkness. We can have happy movies too, right? Uh, so yeah, it's 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 very interesting the number of times that they set something up mm -hmm. supposedly, and then you would assume that oh, that's going to happen once again. The dog, where it's you're kind of led to believe that the dog is going to get taken, never happens. In fact, and it's never even brought up again after that day. Right? Uh, it's it's just small interesting things like that which some might think is a uh is an oversight in the script process but i would argue that it is the complete opposite that there's good reason for it to be there uh not just that it was looked over when they were writing the script right this is not the secret life of walter mitty where he lives a mundane right. life but then he has extraordinary delusions of grandeur essentially yeah there was a lot of times where i was a bit on edge because even when we do watch uh what what do you say kind of a just calm mundane-esque sort of film where everything is going right there's usually some type of conflict that goes wrong right. that's just a basic story structure is you have to have some kind of conflict and there has to be some kind of rising action and falling action this movie i guess you could say might have those in bits and pieces but it's mostly just a realistic look at this man's life and it's super well shot i have to bring that up from the first yes, shot i'm like whoa this is super well shot oh man it's just super and um just i uh, really get you into his environment and his life and uh, the movie does a fantastic job of making you feel like you're a part of his life. Right. And it's 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 just kind of funny because once again, this movie doesn't really have too much of too much, I guess, excitement to it. But even my own even when I watched it initially, I was surprised about how engaging this movie really is, at least from my own personal standpoint. Because once again, there's nothing really all that special going on here. Uh, from maybe somebody else's view, where it's just like a day in the life or a week in a week in the life of this man Patterson. But it's when you look back because everything that happens in this movie will come back at some point. Uh, whether that be mentioned again, like the the bus could have blown into a big fireball. Uh, one of the old ladies, one all the old twins walks out when they're walking on the bus. They mention that, and then Doc in the bar mentions it again, and then Laura back at home mentions that again that the buses could have exploded into a big fireball. When in reality, that would have never happened. <laughs> um, it's it's just interesting that there are just small details that will eventually come back, and if they don't come back uh, over the express, they're usually expressed through his poems which uh, always take inspiration from the, world, from the world around him. And there are even moments, like in the bar, for example, when there's one short scene, I forget what day it is, but there's one short scene where Patterson goes to the bar, Doc is flirting with some uh, one of the uh, customers at the end, other end, of the other end, and Patterson's just kind of left alone, and he's sitting there taking in all the sounds and visuals around him, and he's kind of crafting, you can see the, the gears turning in his head where he's kind of crafting this poem around him, uh, things like that. There are small bits and pieces like that that'll come out of nowhere. 
uh, and always work itself back into the story in some kind of way. Right. And you got my gears thinking about those things where everything kind of comes back on itself. And this movie could have chosen a certain worldview that could have kind of made this what a kind of a depressing ending. But I believe right. because of his conversation with the what is he you said he's from Osaka? Yeah. He is known as the Japanese poet in the credits. That's the only name he's given. Okay. The man from Osaka yep. sounds like either something from Kill Bill or something from Isle of Dogs. <laughs> so Yeah. I just yeah. I thought that was funny. But um, that probably end and his conversation with um, the one guy the who, who has a heartbreak. Oh, yeah, Everett. Everett, that's right, Everett. Um, yeah. Those, we get a resolution because Patterson's poems are ripped up. But we do have those glimmers of hope there at the end and kind of like some kind of like restoration and some satisfaction there. So that gives me hope for Patterson and be too uh, overly complicated with the how, how he keeps seeing twins all the time, how he hears the word secret notebook all the time. He hears this all the time. Um, this could have easily kind of went into the Nietzschean ethic of eternal return, which is what we see in the movie Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, where ultimately they kind of have a doomed relationship, but they just constantly repeat it over and over again. And that kind of gives us no real satisfaction for either of them if they're just kind of doomed to repeat their relationship. So we could think, oh man, Patterson sees these constant reoccurrences and he's just going to go into a constant repetition of his week. So maybe he's falling into eternal return. But I don't really think that's the case because of his conversations there at the end. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And it's kind of interesting because really the whole movie kind of has this interesting tone where it's like somewhat melancholic, but also still very hopeful because you have a lot of conversations that end up being rather funny uh, in, in nature. With Like, for instance, one that's just off the top of my head is when Doc, I think it's when Doc is actually introduced, he is playing chess and Patterson asks, who are you playing chess yeah. against? He goes, myself. Yeah. Which we learn later he's practicing for the, the chess tournament mm -hmm. that's happening that weekend. But, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. This movie it very well, in, in many ways, pretty much could have, or uh, maybe even should have, depending on how it wanted to go about it, uh, showed Patterson leave, leave off Patterson in this very depressed state. Uh, essentially, the whole movie is Patterson in this crossroads, which is kind of also explains the whole tone in, in general. He's at this crossroads where uh, his life is... He's, he's getting rather old at this point. He's about 30-ish in this movie, I would say. And he's getting to a point where his life is not... He doesn't think his life is really anything that special. His job is a bus driver in a small town of New, in a small town of New Jersey called Patterson, which he just happens to share the same name with. And uh, he's an aspiring poet, but that's all he really does. He drives his life as we see throughout the entire movie is one constant cycle of him, going, of him waking up, going to work, going to the bar at night, doing the whole process over again. Um, and so it, he runs the danger of uh, essentially becoming depressed and not living the life, not living with any joy 
in his life, which I would say is kind of shown through the character of Donnie, who is the, I guess, the coordinator uh, for the bus depot, where he will come up to Patterson every day and ask him if he's ready to roll and the cinema's way. But then I think the second day, he, no, actually it's the first day, he starts talking about, Patterson asks him, well, what's going on? And he just lists off everything that's going on in his life. Like his, his kid needs braces. He has a strange rash on his back, things like that. He's, he's finding the worst things in life. And that's the character that's also kind of showing that Patterson could become that guy. But then you've also got on the other side, Laura, who's very eccentric, always trying new things. It's kind of like a risk. It's, it's also a movie that has a big theme in there of taking risks, which she really wants him to get out there and publish his poem. So yeah, this whole movie is essentially uh, Patterson realizing, especially through the Japanese poet, that poetry life itself is very poetic and that he can find the joy in life of anything that he does no matter how ordinary the life right and i found it a little uncanny watching this movie because i'll be honest listeners this is kind of like watching my life play out not quite to a t but very close with just where i'm at in my life right now so uh but i will say that it gives me some reassurance um, because I really think it's beautiful. I think it's a nice change of pace. And uh, Patterson, as a character, teaches us lessons of contentment and finding beauty with a simple life. And I think that's vastly important. And I really do admire someone wanted to make a movie about that. So I do believe Patterson has a lot of lessons to be learned. And right. in that way, I think it is... Um, it's important that we have this figure of Patterson that really does kind of give us this example. Sure, driving the bus isn't what he wants to do. He wants to be a poet, you know, but I think it's really kind of beautiful to watch this couple live humbly within their means and still find a lot of joy and contentment in life and still do the things they love, even though most likely she won't become a rock star whatever singer you know and right who knows he probably may never have his poems published but nonetheless it i guess that doesn't really matter as if they achieve that kind of worldly acclaim and fame because i don't think either of them truly want that i think it, they just kind of want that uh, joy of just kind of being together living their life and loving each other being happy yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, it's also kind of funny, too, because when you really think about it, the lesson that's learned here in Patterson is relatively small. Uh, it's, it, seeing the joint, not, not, that's not to say it's not important, but uh, the lesson he learns is will change his life forever, which is usually what needs to happen in a movie. But uh, it's also something that's, once again, a somewhat small lesson to learn here, but it's, it's the movie kind of also ex explores this idea a bit more. But it's also that idea that uh, even the smallest lessons become the most important ones that you need that will affect your life forever, which in this movie ends up being the one that we've mentioned it many times before. Every life is so poetic in its own in its own unique way, no matter how ordinary you think that your life is. And yeah, this very this is a it's it's interesting, uh, really even getting down to how this movie is constructed because typically movies follow the usual three act structure. You mentioned it just a second ago. Uh, you have like the setup, the rising action, the climax, and then the resolution, right? The, it's their typical three-act structure. This movie doesn't really follow that, per se. It's more of a seven-act structure. It, every day almost feels like its own act. 
Or you could even say this movie's constructed like a poem. The seven days are representative of seven stanzas to a poem, uh, with with the first five being very similar in, in style and in construction, and the last two being the weekend days uh, being very different and kind of like the wrapping up the whole uh, idea. One criticism that I do have for this movie is I believe the screenwriting could have dug a bit deeper with its desire for transcendence because Patterson, we see a lot of the physical world, but Patterson is able to appreciate and enjoy the beauty of this world and he translates that into poems. He's able to do that with just a simple box of matches. Uh, It looks at a waterfall and you see kind of in a beautiful editing sequence how um, what he's thinking in his mind, these images are blended over each other and they come out in a beautiful poem. So in those ways, the movie is kind of hinting at some transcendence in life, that life is more than just driving a bus, you know, or going to the bar at night or creating cupcakes. Uh, There is this... Uh, beauty to life so i can see the screenwriting is going there but i do feel like they stop short i feel like they could have dug a bit deeper and shown more of a connection to um god in these couples lives and i think that would have made uh made it a bit more compelling and these characters a bit more meaningful is like kind of showing more so this touch of transcendence in this couple's life because yeah they have this life and they'll go on living but we need a bit more of a deeper connection as to uh you know what are they kind of working for and striving towards and i know i've mentioned this already it's it's a simple plot and it's a very beautiful plot but i think that would have made things a little more solidified especially when they're going to bring up such things as twins and they see twins all the time and i think there should have been some kind of transcendental recognition there otherwise i'm I'm not sure what i'm really supposed to make of that as he keeps seeing these things three mentions of the secret poems book uh uh petrarch wrote love poems to laura which happens to be patterson's wife's name so there's all these coincidences but the story doesn't give us really any more except they're just coincidences Right, yeah, and uh, okay, at least the thing with the twins, that's like the very first thing that comes out of Laura's mouth in the movie is that she had a dream that they had twins, and so, especially on that day on Monday, he sees twins all over the place, and then they come up once again, that thing, the movie that like, the movie, this movie that likes repetition will bring up these twins uh, and later down the line in certain days, but uh, yeah, I can agree with you that this movie, even from an artistic value kind of viewpoint i think that it could have even uh, even then gone a bit farther and maybe instead of it does it, it's kind of interesting because it this movie is a very show don't tell movie but it also is one that i do kind of wish would take uh, a more symbolic approach where the poems that he constructs in his head or or maybe even the sequences where he's constructing and he's writing down a poem and is visualizing things could have been done in different ways uh, for example, showing different things that are symbolic of other things that he's doing in his life and put those into his poems and make them a bit more objectified, I guess you could say, where things, certain things that are 
there in the world or more symbolic of things that are that he's attaining to. One of the bigger ideas, they kind of do this with the box of matches. Uh, and then uh, he begins as, this, as saying that this is our favorite brand. We used to like Diamond Brand, but now we like Ohio Blue Tip. Uh, and then he will take that, and then later on in the movie, he brings it up and says that uh, the match lights the flame like of our love uh, between the two of them. And it's something like that is what I mean. It's they had maybe if they put some more of that kind of artistic value to it, I think it might be able to dig a little bit deeper underneath underneath the surface. Uh, I mean, not to say this movie is surface level, but it would have been able to dig a bit deeper uh, with what it's trying to show. Alan, I'm really interested to hear what some of your favorite scenes are in this movie because I have yeah. about three favorite scenes that I really love. But first, I want to hear your yeah. favorite scenes. Oh, man. Favorite scenes. Okay, I can name – the one I think of off the top of my head right now is the scene with Paul Lawrence Dunbar, uh, the rapper. I don't know if this is actual oh, yeah. name – but he's rapping the song of he's rapping he's making the song of Paul Lawrence mm-hmm. Dunbar is what the title is, um, and that scene really sticks out to me because it's one of the few it's one of the it's one of the scenes parallel to the Japanese poet and the ten year old girl later on where it, he's essentially meeting another poet uh, and seeing how his life and how in his life he's able to construct this poem while he's waiting on his laundry to finish, uh, which is also kind of unique in and of itself. He never comes back ever again, uh, but that's the reason kind of why I love it so much is because he meets a fellow poet and he kind of is a bit of an inspiration. He kind of is a bit of an inspiration for Patterson um, a bit later on. It's it's very small, almost almost non-existent scene that exists, but is, I think I find to be very, very important. That's one of them. One of my favorite ones. Uh, what, what are yours? Uh, the three that stuck out to me. The first one is when, uh, Laura, uh, wants to learn how to play the guitar and she asks her husband for the money. And I think this is really sweet. First of all, she wants to learn to play the guitar. And she has this really simple, almost childlike dream. And Patterson doesn't put her down for it, but he affirms her dream. And I think that's a wonderful example of how a husband should be. And I think just overall, Patterson is like nearly the perfect example of how yeah. we should be. Um, I don't know if he really has any flaws, which might be something they they might have done is maybe in one scene he could have had maybe a, a bit more of a flaw or something to make us help us identify with him just a little bit more but nevertheless we do want somebody right. that we can look up to and Patterson is just that um so that was one of my first scenes that I really loved but it's not my favorite scene my favorite scene is where Patterson talks with the little girl who's waiting for her mom's sister. And I love that Patterson is, he is the good Samaritan of this story. He walks by, sees the girl sitting there. He instantly is concerned for her. You know, I I wouldn't want my little girl sitting down by the old factories (laughs) by herself. Right. But he's such a protector. He's such a kind guy. Most people would want to go home. They wouldn't care. They would just care about popping their feet up and taking a rest. But he cares. And I really love how he just sits with her. And uh, it's really sweet how they can find something to bond over, over poetry. And my third favorite scene is when 
uh, his wife plays the guitar for him for the first time. I love that scene. Yeah, I would. I'm gonna disagree a little oh. bit when you said that he doesn't. That Pedersen doesn't really have any flaws. I would say that he okay. absolutely does because I mean I mentioned this earlier when he he has that he has the potential of uh, falling into this depression where he doesn't th- he doesn't really find the value in life. That's one of them. But also he seems to be a person who doesn't like to say no mm. to many people, and it's scary because the character of Pedersen is very similar to how I operate. I think is what my initial draw came from is Pat, the character of Patterson and the way that my mind works are v- scarily similar in a lot of scenes. And th- that I think that really shows in this scene with Laura. Now, and that's not to say he should have said no to Laura, but more to the fact that he's always saying yes to her. And maybe and re- I think there was really only one time in the movie when he actually does say no. And that's towards the end uh, when his book is ripped up. And then she says, maybe I should go out. And he goes, no, 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 you stay here. It's fine. I'll go out. Uh, it's interesting that that's really the only time he ever says no to her, which now, of course, the movie doesn't exactly take this and have a life lesson because that would greatly take away from the movie. But it's kind of an interesting character trait that he has that is not necessarily the greatest trait to have where you're just constantly saying yes all the time. Uh, he's a very reluctant person, but always ends up agreeing or going along with things. Um, it, it, I would say that even though he doesn't seem like he has a lot of, pl- a lot of flaws, they're more of very subtle ones, uh, that he's not a perfect person, but is very much somebody that is meant to be looked up to, uh, at least in, when you want to find the, the joy in life, uh, just really for anybody. Yeah, that's definitely a good point that you brought up is his lack of assertiveness in life is, right. yeah, that's, that's definitely a flaw is, we as individuals need to remain that way. And just because you're in a relationship, that doesn't mean you have to say yes to everything your partner wants or does per se. Uh, that doesn't give you the right to be rude <laughs> or, um, you right. know, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, I would have actually liked that if, um, now this is just the way the character was written, which is completely fine. And I'm sure they wrote him that way on purpose, but that is a good point. That is probably something we should not look up to or imitate is being submissive to the point of, uh, I don't know. You got to be assertive sometimes. That's just not realistic is to be that submissive. That's a good point as well. I guess I would also say the more that I think about it, his other flaw is that he won't make a copy of his poems he specifically doesn't want to make a copy of his poems, which really surprised me when I first saw him writing his poems out in longhand. I I don't think I've ever really done that. I always write stuff out and it, it's always safe to Dropbox. <laughs> so I don't lose a copy of it because that would be horrible. But to me, him not wanting to make a copy of his poems tells me that he at least for most of the movie, doesn't really believe his poetry is anything noteworthy of preservation. It's really only meant for him and him alone. And while that's fine to write poetry for yourself, poetry is also definitely meant to be shared with the world because you're kind of sharing this universal truth through poetry somehow. 
And so that's that's definitely a flaw is, I would say, probably his lack of self-confidence. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, even taking that a bit further with that lack of self-confidence it is also not the fact that he is very self-conscious and doesn't think he's a great poet, although that is part of it. I would say the other, other half of it, too, is that he is just naturally a very private person. Once again, I connect to this on a very... Uh, on a much deeper level than I think I ever have with any other character is that uh, he he's a very, like I said, he's a very private person. He doesn't really want to give out his poems because that would be, that's he's scared of maybe even criticism or the fact that someone might read those poems. You know, that's not, not necessarily that, not completely that he's not, isn't a great poet, but that is a very big reason for it. But more the fact that popularity just kind of scares him a bit. Uh, this also kind of goes down to the job he has. He's a bus driver. With a bus driver, you don't really talk to anybody when you're doing your job. You're just there to operate the bus and get people from point A to point B. That's really the only thing you have to do. Not to say it's a very simple job, but more the, the more on the lines that he doesn't really have much social interaction, which he gets later on in the movie with when he goes to the bars where all the social interaction comes from. Um, he's very much an introvert. And uh, I think that's rather clear with just the way that he operates throughout the entire movie. He's very private, very much an introvert. Once again, he's very much like I am uh, in just in general life. Uh, so yeah, that, that is a very another character flaw that you could even bring up is that uh, uh, he doesn't exactly he's scared because he's scared of pu publishing his poems, which he does learn later on, especially through the Japanese poet, that uh, poems were meant to be shared with the world. Uh, of course, keep some for yourself, but still put them out there uh, for, people to, for people to read. He is not really willing to do that. And eventually Lure does kind of convince him, but doesn't ever get the chance to do so because his book is written, is ripped to shreds after Marvin gets, gets a hold of it. I identified with Patterson's form of poetry because his is very, it's kind of like a prose poetry hybrid. And listeners, for those of you who don't know, prose is anything other than verse, essentially. So, because very much in the beginning, like his his poems towards the end, I would say, do kind of have more of a kind of uh, rhythm or pattern to um, how they're laid out. But some of it is almost paragraph-esque, which uh, makes it kind of this prose poetry hybrid. And he mentions, I don't really like when they rhyme either. That's how I was figuring out meter and uh, all of that. Poetry is insanely complicated, more so than you think. I mean, it is really incredible people who do work within the parameters of poetry. But um, with those like myself who don't work within the uh, verse, it's just kind of like free poetry, whatever you want to call it. I appreciated that about him. I'm like, yeah, that's poetry too. It doesn't have to rhyme or yeah. <laughs> work within a certain meter for Pete's sake. But Right. And that... And you can even see the same for the rapper, Paulo Dunbar. Mm -hmm. uh, he, some might even say, oh, that's not poetry. But in some ways, it very well could be. And he might even be, it might actually even be a poem that he's working on. It may not even a rap song uh, that he that he's constructing there. It could be very, very well be a poem. I don't even think it matters right. what it really is. The, the fact that he's putting words that sound great together in a certain way to, to, talk about the world around him is the whole reason behind it. It's one of the, this movie also has a very interesting view of poetry where it's just like, nothing is really off the table here. Not, poetry is not just words written down on a page. 
anymore or really ever was. It's most it's more of the things around the person's life, uh, the life that they live, the people that they talk with. It's things like that. That's what really creates the greatest poems is stuff like that. It's not necessarily just words on a page anymore. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it appears that everyone in Patterson's life is discontent except for him and his wife. Yeah, in a certain way, technically, yeah, because yeah, Doc has it, it, Doc is of, a, of an interesting character because he doesn't, he isn't exactly his. I guess trait that you were talking about here isn't really expressed until about about midway through, and his wife comes up and starts yelling at him for taking money from the cookie jar. Uh, but yeah, I guess you're right. Most people, especially the ones that we really get to know, aside from Nora, are rather discontent. Doc and his wife have kind of a rocky marriage, especially at the time when the, mm-hmm. with the cookie jar. Uh, Marie and Everett have a very rocky relationship. Everett really wants to get back with her, but she totally does not want him. Uh, I already mentioned Donnie, where his whole life is essentially him looking at it just the worst way possible. Yeah, I guess you're right. The most people in this movie are very discontent uh, with their lives, which I might even be could. Which once again, is more of a danger towards Patterson, where he could fall into that exact same camp as everybody else. Yeah, I saw it as kind of this Patterson is reminded every day, like especially even when listening to people's conversations on the bus, like there are those two construction workers who are, right? (laughs) I don't know, they're probably at least early 30s or, you know, 35, whatever, and they don't have serious girlfriends. And in fact, they're even afraid to go out on dates or talk to women because they'll come up with some kind of lame excuse there at the end. Where, oh, I hadn't, yeah. I hadn't showered yet, or I was tired, so we couldn't talk anymore. But, you know, we, we might talk again. It's very, it's very possible. It's likely. I thought that was a funny right. conversation they had. And to me, oh, yeah, it's that is kind of like yeah. Patterson listening in. And at least this is the way I took it as if I were him, I would be thankful I had a loving wife and... I'm not 35 and this is happening or I'm not Everett and Marie right. who have this comical <laughs> on again, off again relationship. And then we even see Doc has problems as well. So I just found that interesting how we don't get anybody else who has their life really together except for Patterson, which you could say the film is making a case for uh you know, marriage as a stable way of life. Whereas, you know, if you're jumping around from, you know, person to person or without open communication, like Doc doesn't have with his wife, then uh, those things are going to be detrimental to your life and relationships. So I think the, the film makes a good case for marriage and communication. Right. It's also kind of interesting, too, because uh, there are a lot of relationships that are in this movie that I think really every single one of them, except for Laura and Patterson, really don't yeah. work out great. Uh, Doc and his wife, when she's introduced, the only scene that she is in, she's yelling at him for stealing money. Uh, of course, Marie and Everett have a very rocky relationship. And then I guess even going uh, aside the main the main side characters, you have the two uh extras with the construction workers where the, I mean, the conversation conversation is just really really funny because they're just trying to one-up each other that's really all it is and uh but you get the sense that they're not yeah like you said not really content uh with taking a risk 
and going out and taking and going on a date with somebody. That's also kind of parallel to Patterson himself not wanting to take the risk of publishing his poems mm-hmm. or making copies of them as well. Uh, and it's just kind of funny that he, it's yeah, you're right. It's it's uh it's interesting that Laura and him have a very almost a perfect relationship almost. Uh, aside from uh, uh, they also have a very perfect relationship but everybody else around them doesn't really seem to have things grounded very well at least from what the movie is showing us it's a very interesting view that this movie has when it comes to relationships that his and Patterson and Laura's is really I guess the most perfect one that we were able to see in this movie because they really don't have any issues really at all in this movie now the movie does give you a couple moments of excitement or give you a couple heart attacks you might say and because I, I told yep. you when I first saw this, I'm like, something has to go wrong eventually. You know, even, you know, the most basic of your, you know, simple kid like movies that you would think of, you know, uh, something goes right. wrong. The dog runs away. Oh, no. You know, we got to find the dog, which I was sure was happening when he came out and pushed the mailbox over. I'm like, oh, he's running away. No, he's just pushing the mailbox over to give patterson a little grief on his way home (laughs) give him something to do but the first time it's just one of those other things that you could add to the list like donnie where it's just like i gotta come home every day and reposition the mailbox because someone it just keeps falling over this is one of those stupid things okay so the first time the gangsters roll up i'm like oh my gosh but it's not bad and i'm thinking you know what i judged them before I even knew them. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be cautious, but I'm also like, you know what? Shouldn't judge a book by its cover. Shouldn't be afraid that everybody is right. out to get you because they might look like gangsters or something. <laughs> so that was a funny scene. But the scene that probably got me the most was um, when Everett pulls the gun. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we went there. What? Oh no! And then it's that—that's a really great scene. It's a really heart-pounding scene, and then you—you you realize it's just foam mm-hmm. pellets, and Patterson doesn't believe he's a hero, which I thought was interesting because he's also a marine. So I don't know. That's that's an interesting character exploration there. Yeah, it's also kind of funny because yeah. Patterson is really shook up and everything. The adrenaline is just it's just just pumping through his body. But nobody just else there, is like, just shaking almost after he tackles Everett. Yeah, everybody <laughs> else is just like nice job, Patterson. He's like, yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> it's I guess it's kind of it's just really it's interesting. This movie also tends up finding the humor in a lot of situations too. Even with Doc and his wife, it's naturally a very funny conversation because she's it's money from a cookie jar. You know, and she's making a huge deal out of it, which is naturally just a really funny thing to see. Um, then, of course, this scene with Everett after he tackles Everett, he's, you know, he's shaken up and adrenaline's just flowing, just going million miles an hour in his body. Uh, and he's just like, yeah, oh, OK, you know, we're catching his breath. But yeah, you're very, you're very correct. It's it's interesting. This movie brings up these moments where you think something's going to happen and then they just don't really pay off uh, in the way that you would expect the dog thing and then of course Everett it's interesting it's almost it has like this message that it's trying to send to Hollywood almost that uh everything is always super dramatic and I think it really comes through with Emmett's character Everett's character because he's an actor right and so what I think this movie is trying to show is that you don't have to you don't the movie does not need to be how do I say this you can still make a great movie without being super overdramatic 
I think is what the movie is one of the things this movie is trying to point out with this, uh, with especially Everett's character, because uh, he's very overdramatic uh, to a point where he decides to pull a gun, which ends up being a toy gun, um, which is even kind of funny in and of itself. Uh, out on his ex girlfriend because she wouldn't because she won't get back together with him. Um, there are a number of moments in this movie where that this kind of thing happens, where the movie would set up the, set up something, uh, the bus exploding into a fireball, the dog being stolen, Everett pulling a gun out in the, in the bar, that never really go anywhere. Or if they do with, with Everett, it's kind of a disappointment where it's not an actual gun, it's a gun with foam pellets, it's a fake gun. It, it's interesting that this movie brings this up uh, a number of different times. It's kind of as if it's saying to Hollywood, you know, you can still make a good movie without being super overdramatic about things. Nine times out of ten, life isn't going to be insane. And that's what this right. movie is showing. <laughs> exactly. Is he is living a pretty normal life. Nine times out of ten, it's not. Something insane is not going to happen. A plane is not going to drop on his house and they're going to become radioactive mole people, you know? Right. So, so in that way, I right. do really like exactly. that. They do subvert our expectations on a number right. of occasions where in a world filled of over-the-top occurrences in movies. And nonetheless, I think that's just uh, probably good screenwriting is to subvert our expectations or believe that something could happen that wouldn't. And I, I would say that the second time around, I could breathe easier watching the movie because I know that he's not going to get shot in a drive-by and his dog's going to get stolen. This isn't John Wick, okay, right. where his dog gets killed and he goes after right. everybody. <laughs> so in, in that way, I was glad that we didn't go there. Well, I should mention that probably for the first half of this movie, I will say for me personally, it's a bit hard to get into and a bit hard to latch onto these characters and as I mentioned earlier, if they would have introduced uh, more of these connections of why she's dreaming of twins and why we're seeing those, why their secret notebooks kind of given us a bit more of a cohesive transcendental connection that there's more than just this life going on around us, then I think I could have latched onto it a bit more. But I will say the second half, I do latch onto more and I appreciate more of the life lessons and aspects because we do have the conflict of the dog ripping up his notebook and uh, how is he going to work through that and resolve that? That piques my interest a little more. Not saying I don't appreciate the rest of the movie. I will just say lacking some of those things makes it a bit more difficult for me to latch onto. Right. And it's also kind of interesting too, because the dog ripping up the notebook is basically the climax of this movie and it's interesting how this movie decides to handle it because patterson you this is really the only time we ever see him in this very depressed state he's essentially given up at this point uh given up of course he can't publish his poems because they're ripped to shreds now uh but at the same time he has nothing to write on and he's looking at all these after the book is ripped up he's sitting in his like little study room and he's looking at all these books from uh, a bunch of different poets, Mo namely the two that are brought to that are brought into the limelight are those from William Carlos William Carlos Williams, uh, 
Uh, one of them is called Patterson, and the other one is like the collective works of, the, I think it's like the collective early works of William Carlos Williams. Um, and he's just kind of looking at it like this, maybe even saying, well, I could have done this and actually, you know, kept some kind of record for my poems. Or maybe looking at him saying that my dream is now crushed. And then, of course, that's brought back when he meets the Japanese poet. But yeah, it's very interesting because he doesn't really say much. It's he's very much an inward thinking person and it really comes out in this scene because he doesn't really he only thing he really says towards it um that really shows his inner thoughts is when he's looking at Marvin and he says I don't like you Marvin. That's really the only thing we get from him in terms of dialogue that insinuates that he's really depressed at this moment uh, in time and that his really this biggest dream that he's had for the entire movie is now gone more or less um and then of course it's brought back with the japanese poet in about in a few minutes later but it's just interesting that even when the biggest i guess that's not really a macguffin either it's just kind of the biggest thing in this movie to, for patterson his his dream and his and his hobby is crushed uh it doesn't do something super over the top either in fact laura is the one who emotes the most of the two of them and shows that she's the most hurt be, just due to the fact that she knew how important it was to him, uh, but it's interesting how she has more emotions than he does in this in the situation. And I hope that that situation and then his conversations later on teach him to be more of an outward feeling person, because honestly, it's kind of disturbing initially to see his initial reaction after his notebook has been ripped up, because he plays it so cool. He has very little emotions about something so personal and dear to him being destroyed that he comes across as almost apathetic as if he doesn't care about it which then in turn worries me okay what does he really worry about then because he sure doesn't show it so i do think that is a really interesting scene where it's like this is what I've been working on for so long and so much. And then it's almost like, whatever, you know, I don't care. No, he doesn't feel that way. I'm not saying he feels that way. I'm just saying how he almost comes across because like you've said, he feels that way on the inside. He feels, oh my gosh, you know, I'm devastated. But then on the outside, he doesn't bring out those emotions, which would worry me at first where it's like, okay, you've got to give me something. You've got to be angry. You've got to be upset. You can't just be cool with everything in life. That's not okay. And I know people like that who on the outside will be cool with everything you tell them to do, even if they don't want to do it at all, or even if it's completely not okay with them, but they will say yes and sure it's okay. It's whatever. It's not a big deal. I can tell Patterson is that kind of a person, whereas he feels completely different on the inside. So at first that is kind of like, oh, okay, you should be exhibiting a little more emotions here. So I think this is kind of his character arc is learning also to, it's okay to not just be so introspective with your poetry, but learning to express those emotions as part of being human. And it's part of being a healthy person. Right. Right. And it's, it, this is the weirdest part for me is because when they find the notebook ripped up uh, by Marvin, you can just at least from my own perspective, I could just feel like the loss that Patterson has in this moment. He doesn't really emote, he doesn't really say too much as we mentioned earlier, but you can just tell in his face and his mannerisms that it is 
a big, pretty big shock to him when he comes in and then realizes that this was his secret notebook that had been ripped up. You can, and especially when he's sitting there and looks at it, just kind of squats and just stares at it for a moment, not saying really much, kind of moving rather slowly, and then just gets up and walks away. Uh, not, it's kind of an insinuation that he's beginning to give up on that hobby that he had. But at the same time, you, at least from my, once again, from my own perspective, you can just feel the pain emanating from this character in this moment. And once, and just kind of snowballs uh, into the next few scenes when he does say to Marvin, I don't like you, and then goes to the waterfall, his favorite place, and then just kind of sits there and looks at it. Because he's written there many, many times. Almost like, I think almost every day he writes there and sits. You can just feel the emotion without saying too much either, which I really do appreciate that they, this is one of the moments where they take a special, they take a special approach in doing a show, don't tell kind of a, kind of an idea. I really do enjoy this last scene because at least once again, for me, you can just, I could just feel how hurt he really was, even though he wasn't showing much emotion in that moment. And I would say that is the icing on the cake because Friday morning, he actually wakes up late where you see he wakes up. Usually he wakes up before his wife. He's motivated to go and do everything. But on Friday, he's really not that motivated, at least to get up where she's really motivated to go do her cupcake business. And she says, well, someday something inside you just doesn't want to get up. Right. And she says, ever feel like that? And he just says today and to me that kind of seems like he's kind of running out of steam possibly there at the end of the week and then especially with his poem being ripped up then he's just kind of like well kind of like turns into eeyore there you know it's like what's what's good in life anyway okay and right uh, but then he has those conversations which i think lift his spirits up Right. And there's a very special emphasis on conversation in this movie because every conversation has a great point to it, especially the ones when he meets the fellow poets. Those always end up having the greatest uh, lessons to be learned or the greatest, not maybe giving him more of a feeling that he is not alone in this world of being a poet because poetry is not necessarily something that's very popular, uh, just kind of in general. That's just how it is with the with society. But it's interesting to see that this movie has great emphasis on conversation and social interaction with a character that isn't exactly that operates in that kind of a way. He's once again very much an introvert. He's somebody who keeps things on the inside uh, and just kind of holds them there. And instead of like like you were saying, instead of probably being a good idea to emote those in some kind of a way to get them out, it's an interesting. It, that can even be a character flaw in, a, in, a, in and of itself because Patterson is not really willing to show – maybe not willing enough to show emotion, but just finding a different way of going about it rather than being overdramatic and stuff like – and things like that, like, like what Emmett does, uh, which is also interesting too because they do have one more conversation with Emmett uh, Patterson does before the end of the movie. And it's right after – it's when he goes on the walk after his notebook is ripped up. Which I find to be very interesting that they decided to include that, but I totally understand why. It is kind of cool that you get to see uh, Pedersen construct these poems in his mind. Uh, because the first one he, he writes down is the Ohio Blue Tip Matches. And then you see that as it transformed from, these are our favorite brand. Our favorite brand used to be Diamond Brand, but then we, then we found Ohio Blue Tip Matches. And then he goes off, it starts kind of 
tying that into uh, lighting the cigarette of the woman you love. And then takes that and takes that into a much different approach where uh, you are the cigarette and I am the match. Or I am the match and you are or the other way around, you know, vice versa. And how they kind of work together in tandem. Once, once again, that's one of the one of the things in this movie that there's a lot of twins, a lot of pairs in this movie. It could be two actual twins where they're wearing the exact same dress, like with the 10-year-old poet that he finds in the alleyway, or with the many different twins that come through the bus uh, that he sees on a daily basis. Or it could even be uh, the writer and his and his thoughts, or the writer and his and his poetry book. Uh, it could be a number of different things in this movie that they bring up. Uh, maybe even man and wife, for example. Um, there are a lot of pairs in this movie that, for a few of them, they are not they are not subtle at all. But for a number of them, I would say that they absolutely are. And it's very interesting to see how, as as well, going back to his construction of poems, how Patterson will create an idea and then progressively work, especially with this blue t- Ohio blue tip match. Uh, poem he'll progressively work into something that is very different from the initial writings that he had just thinking him up on the bus before getting ready to leave uh, for the day the other thing i noticed is patterson is a glass uh half full kind of guy and the guy he works with donnie is the glass half empty who donnie is such a pessimist and clearly he wants to complain about his problems he wants somebody to ask and I don't know if Patterson really cares to know, but Donnie just will always spill his guts to him like every morning. Yep. And he, I think Donnie just kind of likes to complain. He's like, oh, it's my cross to bear. You know, no big deal. I have all these problems in life. You know, I'm handling it. Uh, right. He's kind of a funny character. So we have a lot of dichotomies set up in this movie of contentment oh, yeah. and discontentment. And kind of like optimism and pessimism. So you could look at any of these situations that happen two different ways. You could take the optimistic approach, which is the way I say Patterson usually takes it, except probably in the end, he probably takes it more of a pessimistic way of like, yeah, this just seems about right how this is the hand I'd be dealt here in life. Until his optimism is kind of realigned there. And uh, so, yeah, I think the film does a really great job of bringing those dichotomies together. Oh, yeah. And even you could even go as far as to say Patterson and Laura are very much contrast to each other because Patterson is very much a traditionalist. He is very conservative with the way that he operates in the world. Uh, he is very self, not self-centered, but very internal. Whereas Laura, his wife, is very much the complete opposite. She's very much a risk taker, likes to try new things. She's almost as if she's, it's, her character is written as if she's a teenager. Uh, because she's out of nowhere decides that she wants to learn guitar. Uh, and in just small things that she has, the cupcake selling, uh, she has to sell her cupcakes at the farmer's market on Saturday as she wants to do. She's constantly painting things in the in the house, like the curtains or the walls. She's always doing just the most weird, she's always doing something. She's always doing something new. Every time we go back to her, she's doing something that is sometimes new or she's refining something that's happened before. Whereas Patterson is not necessarily that way. It's interesting that they bring this up because, you know, they're very much a couple. And it's funny how they always, they, 
works together so well in, in the fr- as well. So it's it's interesting that this movie brings that up. And yeah, there are a lot of contrasts in this movie. That one, the, what, that's one of the biggest ones is Laura and Patterson and how different they really are, but how well they get along. The screenwriter wrote their characters really well because opposites do attract. And I would yeah. say the, the couple of Patterson and Laura complement each other in the right ways because she is yeah very much outgoing exciting wanting to try new things whereas he is not as outgoing she's the one that says let's go out on a date let's go to the movies and we can order pizza and that was her idea and she wants to go play the guitar and do cupcakes whereas he's content to take the dog on a walk go to have a beer every night which he writes about how that does bring him joy is just going down to the local pub and just kind of having a relaxing evening talking with people you know where she wants to go bright and early to the well, I don't know bake sale market whatever and sell her cupcakes so just those dichotomies and contrasts are they're, it's they're well written characters and they complement each other well and they're definitely true to real life, I mean, I can speak to that in my own relationship, whereas my girlfriend wants to, she's like, let's go try something really fun and new. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I can I can really relate to that. Yeah. And it's also interesting, too, because th- there kind of is, but in a lot of ways, there really isn't an antagonist in the story. You could probably say that Patterson himself is the antagonist, both the antagonist and the protagonist here, but that really does not even come into play until the very end of the movie, uh, at least not in terms of uh, affecting how the main character operates in the story. Everything else than that is just kind of without really both of them for a lot of it. It's just Patterson living his normal life and then eventually comes to this conclusion after many conversations and uh, different people giving him ideas that there's more to life than just what he's doing. And that's how where poetry comes into this is that life itself is the po- is the poem as well. It's interesting that there, yeah, once again, there really isn't that much of an antagonist and how well this movie operates without in an, using that antagonist to maneuver and almost force the main character to do something to move out of their comfort zone. Uh, once again, up until I'd say the very end of the movie. Yeah. I mean, in life, I don't think we really have antagonists per se. I mean, you might have a coworker that's annoying, but I don't know if they're your mortal enemy, you know, I mean, right. So yeah, I, I don't like, I don't have this antagonist, this opposite me in life, just like Patterson doesn't really either. It's just my own choices will cause me either frustration or so yeah like you said in that way patterson is his own antagonist he set himself up for failure by not making a copy of his notebook and that kind of goes to the old maxim you reap what you sow so kind of you we get to see like their choices and consequences play out just accordingly to what they did or didn't do right Right, and that also kind of goes with this movie kind of breaking a few conventions of just natural filmmaking, at least the filmmaking that you typically see from mainly Hollywood. There is, like I said, like I mentioned before, there's really no three-act structure here. It's very much six or seven, uh, you could say, uh, where every day is its own act, or even in the way that's constructed in poems, kind of in a poem sense, a different stanza. Uh, 
then you've also got the no no real antagonist that's there aside from himself that doesn't once again doesn't come into play until much later you have a lot of things that are set up and then don't pay they don't pay off in the way that you would expect uh we mentioned that before the dog uh and uh yeah the, the dog and the number of characters he meets and different things like that the bus exploding into a fireball it's interesting that this movie breaks a lot of conventions but still somehow works and somehow it, it like you were saying before it's very much a breath of fresh air alan what is your rating and recommendation for patterson so this is kind of interesting um I was on Reddit one time, and one of the subreddits I'm subscribed to is, I think one of them called, I think it may have been r slash movies. I could be very wrong about that. Whatever subreddit it was, it doesn't matter. The question that was asked on that subreddit was, if aliens came to Earth, what movie would you show them to kind of explain how things work? And the first one that came to my mind was Patterson. Uh not really sure why. I mean, I do know now, but that was the first thing that came to my mind was this movie. And I put that out there and a lot of people were just like, oh yeah, I couldn't, I didn't think about that. But that kind of explains this movie in a nutshell. It's very much the most ordinary movie you could think of that on the surface without, you know, watching it and just kind of hearing about it, it sounds really, really boring because you're just watching this man's life for a week. And if you hear that, there's nothing really dramatic that happens that could make things even worse. But it's surprising how well this movie operates because it breaks a lot of conventions that you would normally see. And then even though you're following this guy's life for a week, there's no real antagonist. It's one that you kind of learn this smaller lesson, but ends up being one that's a really big lesson at the very end when you really apply it to your own life in terms of everyone's life is, a, is some kind of poem. Life itself is his own poem. It really much, it has a great emphasis on a person's life just in general, which I really do enjoy, which is interesting. Because, once again, this is a movie that, on paper, shouldn't work at all. But it somehow does. It doesn't even have its own 3X structure. It has its own kind of thing that it does where everything is a poem. The whole movie itself is a poem. And it's kind of saying that everything that you could think of can be worked and written down and become some kind of artistic poem or some kind of artistic writing in any kind of way, no matter what it really is. And I really do enjoy that, that it finds this different meaning in life that you might not ever really ever think about uh aside from maybe watching this movie or whatever yeah i from the moment i watched it when i was in the car i just did not want to leave because it captured me so much to now i found a much deeper appreciation for it than than really ever before now i do still have criticisms for it and i've mentioned those before where i do would like would like to see a bit more of an artistic rendition when it comes to certain things but i can still understand why they decided to go for a more realistic approach uh instead of going that route so aside from that there really isn't much that i can say now i will say this is not a movie for everybody there are going to be a lot of people that need more stimulation than what this movie is going to give them and i can totally understand that if you if you're not really into this kind of movie i wouldn't have been five years ago uh, had I not really dove deep into, I guess, more films that are kind of like this or know how film operates on a different level than maybe your average moviegoer would know. So from that standpoint, I absolutely love Patterson. And still to this day, even though I've seen it six, seven times, I still love this movie and would very much love to go back and watch it again. So for me, Patterson, one of my favorites of all time, nine out of 10, a extremely high recommend. I cannot recommend this movie enough. 
Patterson is a beautifully moving film, one that should speak to us all. Adam Driver portrays a man we should all strive to be in our lives. He exhibits humility, patience, kindness, gentleness, basically all the fruits of the spirit, and heroism. He is quite a hero, an introspective man who fiercely loves and provides for his wife. He does have a few flaws, such as lacking self-confidence and not being able to say no. Also, this film should have strived to understand a deeper meaning of transcendence in life. If that would have been explored, I believe this film would have been much more compelling. I must mention this film is a breath of fresh air considering it's just about this man's life, and it's remarkable nonetheless. Everyone should see Patterson at least once, and when you're needing your compass calibrated in life, pop this film on. Patterson receives 7 stars out of 10 with a solid recommend. And it's also interesting too that Okay, one of my favorite characters of all time is as Atticus Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird. For whatever reason, I have always looked up to the way that that character was written, and I can put Patterson on this exact same list, but for a little bit different reasons. Uh, although I still look up to the character of Patterson, I find myself identifying with the character of Patterson to a degree that I have never seen since, or ever before either. I've never really connected with the character on such a level where I understand why he acts certain ways that he does without the movie ever having to explain it to me, because that's how I operate on a daily basis. It's interesting that I have a movie that I can say that essentially I'm seeing myself on screen almost, which is somewhat kind of scary, but at the same time, also a breath of fresh air to see a not just a character that is so similar to me, but also a movie that kind of rewrites a lot of typical tropes in just cinema in general. Well, Alan, you chose well for your birthday pick. I'm really glad we got to discuss this movie in depth. Yeah. I honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. I considered doing something bad again, <laughs> but the more I thought about it, I was just like, well, maybe, next year. maybe not this time. <laughs> Perhaps next year. I do want to review a bad movie again because it's fun. Oh yeah, absolutely. What we'll to put that on the schedule sometime? But yeah, this is this is one of my newer favorites that I have. This is not one that I've had a favorite mm -hmm. for like years. This is relative, like relatively new. I think I've added it to the list just recently. The more I thought about it, and the more I watched yeah. it. I also want to do a review, uh, uh, audio commentary for a bad movie. That would be fun as well. Oh, that would be fun. That'd be very fun. Listeners, I. <sighs> I still don't know what I'm doing for my birthday pick, but that's okay because we still have one more movie in between reviewing my birthday pick, and that is the 2018 reimagining of Suspiria. We are finishing up our Three Mothers trilogy. Well, there's a fourth movie here now, so it's not really as such. Yeah. It's it's interesting because it's not really a part of the right. trilogy. It's just kind of its own thing, but it's a remake of a movie that was in the trilogy. It's, so it's still a trilogy with a yes, remake. It is trilogy plus. <laughs> yes. And we, for now, this is the end of the retrospective. Who knows? They very well remake Inferno and Mother of Tears. That would be interesting to see Mother of Tears being remade considering it's not that old and, well... Go ahead and listen to our podcast to see what we thought of that movie. Uh, we won't. I won't say much more here. But uh, yeah, like I said, we will be coming back next week 
with our review of the 2018 Suspiria. So if you have not heard our review for the Three Mothers trilogy, all of those are up right now. Go ahead and listen to those. The link will be in the description for you to catch up on those reviews as well. And then like I said, after that, we will be doing my birthday pick next week when we review Suspiria at the end of the podcast. I will review what my birthday pick is. So I won't leave you guys hanging up until the time of release what my what I'm reviewing for my birthday. But then after that, we have a lot of great retrospective series coming for you to look forward to, such as the M. Night Shyamalan films, the Mad Max series, Back to the Future, and Mission Impossible leading up to the new Mission Impossible International, plus Pet Cemetery. Mm. And it also should be noted that we're not starting with Sixth Sense when it comes oh, yeah. to that Shyamalan review. No, we're starting with Praying with Anger. Uh, there are two, two movies? No, three movies before Sixth Sense, which is probably his most popular movie uh, of M. Night Shyamalan's. So we're doing all of it, uh, all of it that's been released so far. And I very well very possibly might do a written review for Stuart Little. Why uh, yes. would Corbin do a review for Stuart Little? Well, because Stuart Little is written by M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. A very not-so-known fact, which is interesting yeah. to say, because that wasn't long, I guess, after Unbreakable <laughs> uh, when he wrote that movie. So, <laughs> Well, and just like Damien Chazelle co-wrote 10 Cloverfield Lane. What? Right, right. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of interesting when you when you find out that stuff. Um, another quick fact for you before we go. Roald Dahl, who wrote Willy Wonka or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the BFG, all those fun kid stories. He wrote the James Bond movie. I'm pretty sure uh, You Only Live Twice. I think that's what it's called. It's the Sean Connery one. He wrote really? the James Bond movie. I'm like sitting there watching the opening credits. It's like written by Roald Dahl, like the writer of charlie and the chocolate fact wait a minute that's weird yeah i know i've seen a scene or two from that it was on tv one time i was like okay i know this is a bond movie but i don't know which one i eventually found it well but. i could be wrong on the title but it's the one where he goes to japan and they fight in the volcano crater so look that one up it's pretty easy to find it's where sean connery goes through surgery to look asian oh dear Oh no, that just sounds oh, amazing. It is amazing. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> For reasons that are not because it's a well good a good a well made film, but quite, quite the, the opposite. opposite. So listeners, a lot to look forward to. So make sure to click subscribe right now. Share this podcast with your friends and family. We love talking about movies and we love talking about them with you. The greater the community we have here on Silver Screen Guide, the better because it's better to get all kinds of different thoughts and opinions. We want to know, have you seen Patterson? What did you think of Patterson? We want to discuss that with you as well. We don't just want to discuss it with each other. We also want to hear what you have to say about the movie and your insights and how it impacted you as well. So make sure to leave those comments in the description below. Also, if you are listening on iTunes, then please give us a five-star rating. That does really help us in the rankings there on iTunes. It helps other people find our podcast as well. So like I said, we can have a greater community of film lovers to discuss film with. So we do really appreciate uh, hearing what you have to say and uh, hearing your feedback. 
And make sure to subscribe on Facebook, Twitter, your favorite social media platform of your choice. You can also subscribe through email. That's another great way. You can do that through our website, uh, which is in the link in the description below. That's another great way to stay up to date on everything that we publish. If you subscribe through that, you will not miss a beat. We do send out a newsletter every Friday around lunchtime. So when you do go to lunch on Friday while you're at work, that'll give you a little something to look forward to. You can read or catch up on uh, the new podcast here on the show. So once again, thank you for joining me, Alan. Yeah, sure thing. I'm looking forward to coming back to Suspiria next week. The trailer looked incredible. I'm I'm hoping it's not too naughty with uh, some naughty scenes like Mother of Tears was. That, that was right. over the top. Uh, hopefully it's not as grotesque yeah. as some of that uh, as well there at the end. So we'll right. find out. But Next week. Yeah. I'm excited. I've been wanting to see this. We were trying to see it a while back, but then guess what didn't come to any theater around me it was only there for one day and i couldn't get to it it was this movie so we yeah. could postpone it we really didn't have to wait too long though no not too long could be much worse but it we was also will be coming to you with to our uh we will be coming to you on oscar night because we That's will right. be watching the oscars together we will see every single best picture nominee before the oscars debuts february 24th so make sure to mark your calendars for that just to let you know if you do have a regal cinema near you you can buy a festival pass for 35 dollars, and that'll let you see all of the best picture nominees excluding roma that is a netflix exclusive so you'll need to sign up to netflix for that but nevertheless you can go see all of them which is pretty beneficial because all of the nominees are in they comprise like so many categories, so you can knock out a lot of the categories um, as well uh, because they're they've been nominated for so many different ones. So, and I know Alan has quite the plan. I do believe. Yes, I I do know that uh, AMC is doing the same thing with the Best Picture nominations. Although Roma is also absent from that list because it mm. is on Netflix. But yes, uh, from the sounds of things, I might be driving two and a half hours to see Mirai, which is the only animated feature that I have left to see now. So I don't know if that's going to happen just yet, but I'm planning to work towards that just because it's crazy enough from just like, hey, that'd be fun. Plus, I want to see that movie before the Oscars come around anyways to get a real judgment on uh, animated features, at least. My dad and I, we started watching, uh, we watched our first Oscar-nominated film last night, so Oscar watching has begun. I am going to do my best to watch all of them, and I most likely will see next to all of them, except for some of the impossible-to-find ones that... Like the foreign language right. movies. Aside from Roma, they're pretty non-existent. Cold War is coming out on Prime. A month after ah, the Oscars. Perfect. So. Just in time. Wait. Yeah. Not. Great. Great. Perfect. <laughs> That's how it always works. Yeah, I know um, yep. Mary Queen of Scots will be available to rent two days after the Oscars. Ah, I caught that on the <laughs> very last day at the very last showing at my theater. To be fair, it was only one showing that day anyways. Yeah, so like last year, I saw 90... Eight percent. I think there's only like three or four movies I didn't get to see, uh, and that'll probably the case be the case this year. But that's okay. That's extremely difficult to do in one month, anyway. 
and a little expensive as well. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. but I'm really looking forward to it. I love Oscar season, even if I think some of this year's Oscars are strange for choices. They are. It'll be a very different Oscars than what we're, I guess, what we've ever been done before, because we have no hosts as well. So that'd be fun to yeah, see I'm kind happens. of hoping this will be the year the Academy gets its, well, I'm hoping what has gone on this year has caused the Academy to realize they really do need to get it together with treating like just treating this more of a film awards ceremony. So I'm hoping next year's Oscars will be a little more together and on track with yeah. everything. Yeah. But if it goes the route that the nomination list announcement went, yeah. it would pro it would be a good ceremony, which was done it was like blazing fast. It was done in half like twenty minutes. It was. Minutes. It was way better than the year yeah. before with Tiffany Haddish and Andy Circus. That took forever. She could barely read. Right. Uh, I'm I don't blame her. It's early in the morning, but it doesn't really make for a compelling sit down to oh, watch. Sure. Uh, it was just odd and it was, it was just an odd pairing it was weird this one worked really well so hopefully yeah. that's a good sign yeah hopefully that's just a sign for things to come uh we can only hope and pray for another 22 days at this point at the time of this recording well listeners we will be coming back to you next week with suspiria so make sure to stay tuned for that also, if you are interested in seeing all of the Oscar nominations and you want to know what all of those are, you can go over to Letterboxd. That's the word letter, boxed together with a D on the end. You can follow me on there because I did create a list of all of the Oscar-nominated movies, and I have listed every single nomination that they are up for. So that's kind of a good way to keep track of those movies. Plus, you can see what movies I watched throughout the week and my thoughts on those as well. So if you want to go a little bit deeper beyond Silver Screen Guide, you can see what else I'm up to watching uh, throughout the week as well. So listeners, thank you so much for joining us. You all are awesome. We really do appreciate you all listening. We hope to keep growing Silver Screen Guide. So spread the word and bring in more, more of your friends and listeners to join the conversation as well. Thank you, and we will see you next week with Suspiria. It's interesting this movie breaks a lot of... Hey! I don't see you. Hey. Oh, there, now I see you. Are you there? Oh, hi. That was weird. Yeah, Although I you, can't hear you. you froze oh, for you quite a while, and then... I was like, okay, I'm just going to hang up and call him back. And then as I click hang up, you like just like jittered and moved and like said something all of a sudden, but then you like didn't do anything more. And so I just hung up. Yeah. Oh, fun. Yeah, we're doing we're pretty so, good. Today was a good day. It was working just fine until now.